Baby boomers. I used to be with it. Millennials. Okay, boomer. Generation X. What's going on? And Gen Z. <laughs> what do they have in common? Not a lot, it turns out. But one thing they can agree on is that this is the political podcast they want to listen to. Welcome to Not My Generation, the political podcast that looks at political events, news and happenings across the world and at home through a generational lens. Your hosts are Dr. Emily Stacy and Professor James Davenport, two political scientists from Rose State College. But the views expressed on this program are solely the views of the host and their guests and do not reflect the views of Rose State College, its administration, faculty, or students. Coming up on today's program. I like a politician that stands for what they believe in and no BS. Sometimes I'll tell my mom something I'm writing about and she's like, well, why are you harassing them about that? Well, no one likes to say spending. It's always an investment. Yeah, right. That's the whole reason he did that. And now, here are James and Emily. Good morning, Emily. What's up, James? It's a, a wonderful Friday here in Oklahoma City in the Posh Studios, production studios of Possibilities, Inc. Uh, and another great podcast with some journalists. So this is part two of our pre-legislative, Oklahoma legislative part session. Part two, Electric Boogaloo. I had there to say you go. it. Like, I, I am glad you did. I was waiting for that to, to, to come out. There you go. Sorry. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about this one, particularly um, because I have one of my favorite human beings and somebody who helped raise me politically, Sean Ashley, from uh, that formerly known as E-Capital, now currently known as Quorum Call. Correct, right? I did that it right. Correct. I did That's it right. Uh, and then a, a favorite of ours as well, Paul Money's from Oklahoma Watch, right? Yeah, yep. good to see you all. We are we are excited to, to to find out what you guys are thinking about this upcoming legislative session. Before we get into that, we got some uh, kind of rapid fire. I say rapid fire. They uh, that depends on how long you trace talk, labored, right? How, right. How trace traced with his answers. <laughs> I'm shocked. We, yes, we all know what that means. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, rapid fire icebreaker questions. All right. So, am I, are you going to go yeah. first again? All right, Gen X, millennial, or other? I'm Gen X, Paul. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> I am on the cusp of baby boomer yeah. and, and all that. So, uh, in fact, I believe I am the second oldest person by just a few months in the press room. Aww. I love that. Remember, it was like tally for a while and... My God! I, I think what you mean to say is you are the senior member of the press, <laughs> right? That's that's the one with the most that. wisdom. There exactly. you go, right? <laughs> right, you are seasoned, sir. All right, what are you currently reading, watching, or listening to? Well, uh, reading. Uh, I'm actually reading Dark Mirror uh, by Barton Gilman. Uh, going back and looking at the whole leaks with uh, Edward Snowden about a decade ago. Fascinating book, about halfway through so far. Um, very interested in some of these national security secrets after watching Reality, uh, the movie from last year yeah. uh, that involved Reality Winner, mm -hmm. who got caught up in some of the spying stuff um, uh, that she was working on as a military contractor. And then uh, it's a lot about whistleblowing and journalism. So that is kind of taking up my free time on some of that. But I just actually started watching season four of True Detective last right. night. So yeah. it's, that's interesting so far. Mm -hmm. Not quite into it yet, but it's it's going well. <laughs> uh, I plan to get into season four of True Detective soon. Uh, right now, I'm reading um, 
oh, Michael Lewis's latest, uh, Going Infinite, okay. uh, about um, uh, Bitcoin and uh, cyber currency. Uh, I'm also reading Emma Straub's latest book, the title of which uh, escapes me, uh, and a book called Belovedness by a uh, Coptic Orthodox priest. Uh, and then uh, just the other day, I received from uh, the St. John the Baptist Monastery in Essex, England, uh, one of their elders' books on hesychism, stillness, oh, wow. and um, the your relationship with God. Neat. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Favorite social media platform? Don't ug me, you, <laughs> you Gen Xers. Begrudgingly, it is Twitter, now X. No. No? Just Twitter. It is, it is it is that formerly known as Twitter and never. Well, I'll keep saying Twitter because I don't, the rebranding is silly, but uh, it's still one I can't quit, which uh, makes me mad a lot of times. But I have tried to pare back my tweets at random times and look at it in a more regular fashion, like a normal person would and not a journalist who's just tied into everything all the time. Right. Yeah, about the only one I use anymore is probably Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and that's just to see all the good stuff that, that other people are writing, whether it's Paul uh, or, or or people in other states in, in particular. Uh, that's just a, a good resource for that. Uh, aggregate, yeah. I, I will tell you. I my, love Elon Musk. He ruined my favorite place on my, earth. My issue with Twitter right now is... Most of the stuff I see is extremely, I mean, people are just, oh, you should be mad about this or you should be mad about that. And it's just like, I get on there and I'm like, oh, I feel so weighted down after. And it's definitely an instant outrage machine and it it pulls all the buttons and pushes buttons on that all the time. And that's not a new thing, but I think the algorithm, um, I can't get rid of that for you on my timeline. And I, I, as much as I try, there's not a, unless I pay $7 a month, I'm probably not going to get rid of that. But I, I do have my secret sauce with the lists and my lists are kind of the way I stay somewhat sane, uh, on Twitter. So yeah, agree. All right. Favorite, uh, pastime activity or hobby? Boy, I would say reading, uh, is probably my number one, uh, second is watching sports, both professional and my kids doing stuff. So Mm -hmm. that's probably it. Probably reading because it is an opportunity uh, uh, to disconnect from what can be the grind of government coverage in particular, uh, which seems to go on and on and on throughout the course of the day. Um, You know, by our our reading list that you heard, we're we're getting away from uh, anything political for the most point and most part and, uh, you know, looking at other things. Finally, uh, one political view that puts you at odds with your peer group, colleagues, or family. This was an interesting one from Trace and Carmen. I was kind of surprised. <laughs> wow, I'd have to think about that. That puts me at odds with my peer group or family. The places I've clashed has been most personally on political levels, but I tend to not put those out there sure. as much. So clearly uh, there's issues with just respecting the rule of law among politicians in general. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily interpersonal problems that I get into, but there's, I try not to fight with friends and family. I have lots of family that consume lots of different views on media across the political spectrum. So 
I respect what they do. I do quiz them sometimes. I have a really uh, fun relationship with my mother-in-law, who is a, um, a used to be a very hardcore Fox News viewer. Now she's paired back in her retirement. And, um, but it, it, we, we kind of banter back and forth, but it's never anything nasty, which is nice. We have that relationship where we kind of know we can discuss stuff without, you know, running away or yeah. getting mad or saying, I'm never going to visit again. Yay, <laughs> civil discourse. That's yeah, wonderful. Know, shocking. We love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably my biggest, even though I, my mom is a journalist and my dad works for the newspaper, uh, and, and I think Paul will sympathize with this a bit. Um, I'm a big one, of course, for government openness, uh, open records, open meetings. Uh, and sometimes I'll tell my mom something I'm writing about and she's like, well, why are you harassing them about that? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not harassing them. Here's the law and it, it should be public. And you of all people should understand that. Um, then I remind her that, you know, she raised me and made me this way. <laughs> um, but in the end, much like Paul was referring to, it sort of becomes a matter of good humor between us. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, but I'm not, I as Emily knows, my political viewpoints are sort of all over the spectrum. So probably as many people as I disagree with, I agree with as well. And, uh, you know, I'm a mess. So <laughs> I think Sean is probably the reason he was the primer for you, I oh, think. Right. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Was, yeah. I think that's a compliment. It but is I'm not a compliment. Sure. I love you both dearly. <laughs> All right. Do you want to get, get into? Yeah, let's so, talk about the upcoming uh, legislative special session. I want to write so right. What's happening, my friends? Nothing. I love Greg Tree. Can I just say, just I, I, I just want to lodge that, just wedge that in there. Greg Tree. I think is you've mentioned that before. On this, on this podcast, I yeah. like a politician that stands. For what they believe in and no BS, which is why I've always been a fan of Chris Christie as well. I may not agree with their politics or ideology necessarily, but I like a person that stands on what they mean and, sure. and what they believe. Conviction. Well, let's sort of put this in perspective if we can for a moment, because, of course, Kevin Stitt has called a special session. Um, to deal with tax cuts. And another one. Uh, another special Sorry. session. <laughs> number three or four? I'm trying to remember. Uh, for for tax cuts, I think it's just, num isn't it just number two on tax cuts? Uh, no, number three. Number three because on tax the, cuts. The, the first two were so successful. Clearly. I mean, clearly, yes. The, the first one in 2022 and then another one back in October of 2023 and, and now this one. Um, but to put it in context, Governor Stitt has only signed one individual income tax reduction, and he's now in his second term. Governor Brad Henry, a Democrat. Oh, I love this. Signed more. Sean with the stats. Interesting. This is why we love wow. Sean Ashley. So, you know, individual income tax cuts are a big thing for Republicans in the state of Oklahoma. And he has yet to deliver on that at the same level that, that the prior governors have. With a supermajority, right? With a supermajority in both chambers. Yeah. Uh, governor Frank Keating got the first and some a su couple of subsequent cuts. Uh, Brad Henry saw the, uh, ultimately agreed to some cuts during his terms. And of course, Governor Mary Fallon did as well. Um, so in terms of your Republican governor legacy, uh, he's running out of road. 
and he needs to get he that tax something, cut. something accomplished. Well, and he's also tied it to a, a state employee pay raise, <laughs> which was thrown down a gauntlet that maybe for special session is something you could probably kick into the regular session, but mm-hmm. um, right. obviously he's tipped his hand a little bit on that already, it seems like. Yeah. Um, this, the, the 2023 session, I think Paul would agree, was rather unique in that we had that fight over the parental choice tax mm-hmm. credits mm-hmm. that began at the end of February when the House passed the first couple of bills and continued into late April, where the governor ultimately had to bring in a mediator Mm -hmm. to work out the disagreement between the sides. Um, This seems to be building in that direction. I mean, the governor is on record now uh, as saying he won't go with a, a state employee pay raise unless there's a tax cut, much like McCall did not want to move forward on any Senate amendment Senate amended parental choice tax credit bills. Um, And then McCall has said that they plan during the special session for the House to pass a tax cut, which will just languish there until at some point the Senate decides to do something um, or they start this battle within the legislature of not hearing one another's bills, vetoing bills. It, it Delicious could, in an election year. It, it, it could be. I mean, it could be rather ugly. Yeah. So how much, uh, Trace, uh, in our, our previous episode, touched on this a little bit, but uh, I really want to dive into how much of this from the governor's side, from Treat's side, from McCall's side, is as much about positioning for future electoral plans as it is for getting something actually accomplished uh, now, right? The, the, I want to get this accomplished now because mm-hmm. I'm going to run for something else later. How, how much of that is playing into this dynamic? I don't see a ton of that. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, you kind of scribe motives to people sometimes on terms of future office, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's been a lot of speculation, obviously, um, among some, you know, especially Speaker Charles McCall possibly running for governor. And I don't think anyone's ever gotten a definitive word out of him that he will or not, but he definitely is making at least moves in the legislature to kind of burnish that kind of record a little bit. Um, I kind of see it more as just, you know, they each want to have their legacy as well, but also they have, I mean, both the speaker and the the pro tem have people in their caucus Mm -hmm. to basically keep happy as well. And, you know, I think theoretically, all three people are probably for tax cuts, but right. they're not just going to give it away without doing something that they want to do as well, which is pretty classic politics. Right. Exactly. But I, I don't know about national ambitions or even state ambitions for other offices of any of them definitively, but I, I feel like that they want to make sure their caucuses are happy as well. Mm-hmm. And that's, that goes a long way if you have any com- com- campaign coming up. Sure. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, I, I think, like I said a moment ago, on Governor Stitt's side, although he may not think about it this way, I, I think there is that that legacy issue. Uh, it It's something he has asked the legislature for time and time again and only gotten once. Um, you know, both House Speaker Charles McCall and Senate President Pro Tem Greg Treat term out this year. And so there's the matter of their legacies as well. Uh, what did they leave behind? Um, 
And, and McCall has been very consistent in advocating for tax cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of years ago, uh, Senator Treat began making the argument um, that we needed, that the legislature needed to slow down on tax cuts and look at things more holistically. And they put together a working group that never really produced a report mm-hmm. or anything. Um, but, but the idea was that you can't just keep whittling away at your revenue base, mm-hmm. uh, without having something to fill that hole back in. Um, having said that at the same time, um, Senator Treat has a bill which would reduce the state sales tax on groceries to zero. Let's be clear about something here because Emily knows me (laughs) very well. That bill does not eliminate the state sales tax on groceries. It leaves it in place. It takes the rate to zero. And there's a difference. There is a difference, right? Because that means they could raise it at some point. If they, they could raise to, it right? at some point, and it's it would take three quarters to do it because it would be a revenue raising measure. Mm-hmm. But it's probably easier just to raise a rate of a tax that already exists yeah. than it is to implement a new tax with some rate. Um, so, you know, the answer to your ultimate question is it's. It, it, it's, it's very complicated. it's complicated. <laughs> it's very confusing uh, because you have people moving the shells around on the table a lot of different ways. Right. And I think we have a lot of people in leadership, not just the top leadership, who remember going through the downturns, yeah. you know, right. 2017, 2018, sure. when there was deficits they had to take care of. And then they make really hard choices at that point. And that was before Governor Schnitt took office. So he kind of benefited a little bit from some of those revenue raising measures in his first term, at least until COVID hit. Um, And then, you know, since then, there's still a lot of thought, well, we don't ever want to have the next classes of lawmakers be in that same situation. So let's kind of slow down a little bit and take it easy. And I think there's still some hesitation on some on the House side, too, with that as well. Mm -hmm. And Oklahoma, like most other states, are unlike the federal government in that we can't we can't run a deficit right we we have to have a balanced yeah. budget that's in the, yes. the state constitution and so to your point uh, if you're going to cut revenues either you have to find another place to to or you have to cut the spending side yep. by equivalent amount right, that's right. That's right. Uh, and um, and nobody's really talking about I mean you've got some folks on the kind of the the really far right of, of the House and Senate caucus, maybe that. Oh yeah, we still we we waste too much money in state government, and we need to cut more. But I think the majority of folks are not in that camp, right? I I, I think you're correct. I mean, Governor Stitt said back in December that that he is for smaller government, and therefore he is for tax cuts. Um, but as recently as a couple of weeks ago, we saw during the budget hearing for the Department of Human Services. Members from both sides of the aisle stand up and say, are you asking for enough money? They're asking for a flat budget. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you asking for more? Because they looked at the projects that the agency is doing and what they had identified as challenges and what they want to do. And they're questioning whether the agency is asking, by asking for a flat budget, is going to have enough money to do what it says needs to be done for the people of Oklahoma. 
And that was bipartisan. It wasn't just Democrats. It was bipartisan. Well, in my, uh, listen, I'm partial to kind of the, the limited government type of, of rhetoric, but regardless of, of what size you think it should be, you need the revenues to accomplish whatever the mission is that you say you're going to be accomplishing, right? Uh, and I think that often gets lost in the, the discussion is, uh, look, okay, well, let's agree upon what is it that we want this thing called state government to do? Then let's agree upon that we're actually going to give it the revenues to do that. Well, and, and that is an interesting point because as the governor says, I'm for smaller government. And, and I mentioned this somewhere else about a week ago. And when we've had all these discussions about tax cuts and the idea of spending less on state government or spending more on state specific state agencies, no one has ever said what the right size right. of state government is. Right. And actually, uh, in the release from the governor's office on the artificial intelligence task force, there was an interesting line in there that said 21% of employees in the state of Oklahoma are government employees. Mm -hmm. Now, that's state, local, and federal. Right. So it's right. a combination. Yeah. And Stitt said that number should be 13%. Well, I looked at the report, and that number is not in there. Maybe I missed it, but I didn't see it. But there's no clear definition, at least to me, of how big or small our government needs to be. Well, that's because that's a really complicated it, thing it to is. figure out. You too, all know, right? it's political yeah, science. Yeah, you, know. you can be for small government, but just expand a brand new tax credit program for private schools exactly. right. and spend money and no, pre-fund exactly that. Right. So, I mean, that's not some of that rhetoric is a little hollow sometimes when your actions speak a little well, differently. It, you know, politicians still love to throw out these general general phrases. Right. I'm for education, or I'm for you know, I hear this all the time. That I'm for a strong national and. You're left to try to interpret what the heck that well, means. Well, no one likes right. to say spending. It's always an investment. Right. Right. It's always an investment. Yeah. Investing in your future is yeah. not spending to be on yeah. something else. So, exactly. and I think you're right in terms of the 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 tax like conversations. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily easier to talk about just the straight up income tax cut or a straight up grocery sales tax cut. But there's been efforts in the past, and Sean knows this pretty well, to reform the sales tax. Entirely yeah. flatten it out, yeah. have more services mm -hmm. be sales tax. Mm -hmm. yep. The problem with that, and I think we saw Mary Fallon pop that up a couple of times, is that every interest group, and I say that mm -hmm. in a good way, I mean, for good or yes. bad, comes out and says, oh no, we can't be taxed we, because yes. we're special. Right, right. absolutely. Yeah. No. Uh, and and uh, I remember, so uh, way back when Frank Keating was governor, mm -hmm. he brought this up. And one of the major opponents to it at that time, the Oklahoman. Right. He said, oh, no, you can't. We're the we're the press. We're the media. We can't be taxing our subscriptions or whatnot as well. Right. As so, I mentioned yeah. earlier, I'm the old man in the room. <laughs> I was working then for the Office of State Finance, okay. which is now the Office of Management and Enterprise Services. And I was one of the staff members on that task force that looked at lowering the individual income tax and offsetting that revenue loss with some sort of expansion of, of the sales tax base. And as Paul rightly pointed out, and, and you rightly pointed out, the, the outpouring of opposition to those that are currently not subject to the tax was incredible. Mm -hmm. I was the lowest level staffer on that thing. 
Um, my job was really to make sure that the report that came out had the periods and the commas in the right place and that words were properly capitalized. I was receiving calls from lobbyists telling me what a bad idea <laughs> it was to impose a sales tax on their industry. And I was just worried that I spell whatever they did correctly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, Sean has been through pretty much everything in, in the state of Oklahoma and is the repository of just I mean, everything. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, I want to know, right? I know you have the numbers. So you've read through uh, all of the bills. Apparently you do not have a task force of, you know, six human beings. I remember when we were up all night on bill filing deadline uh, evening and ordering pizza and drinking all kinds of disgusting, muddy coffee uh, until 3 a.m. reading and paraphrasing bills. So how many are filed? How many were filed and how many are carrying over? There were 2,057, I believe, new bills and joint resolutions filed for consideration during the, the 2024 regular session. Um, on the House side, they're allowed to file what's called shell bills, right. bills that have no substantive language in them whatsoever. You don't know what they might or might not do. Um, there were several hundred of those. Well, you say that. I've looked back at that, as you might expect. Of and it's rare that a shell bill actually ends up with language in it and, and ends up on the governor's desk, uh, a, a genuine uh, non-budgetary shell bill. Sure. That, that, that's highly unusual. You ask how many bills were carried over from 2023. Uh, again, there were a couple of thousand coming out of that legislative session. Um, those bills remain active wherever they were in the legislative process. So we were talking about tax cuts earlier. There was a bill, for example, passed by the House uh, that would eventually make a flat, would, would eventually result in a flat income tax in Oklahoma. Um, it passed the Senate Finance Committee, but was not heard by Senate appropriations. So if the Senate wanted, and they don't want to, but <laughs> it, 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 if they wanted, they could take up that bill from that point in Senate appropriations, mm -hmm. hear it there, move it to the floor, and, and pass it rather expeditiously. The same is true for all those other measures. Wherever they are in the process, they could be grabbed and, 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 and move forward. And we've seen a, that a time or two over the last several years were bills that, that didn't make it all the way through during the prior year's session were picked up and passed in the next session. So were, uh, if, you, if you can recall off the, the top of your head, maybe, were there more or fewer bills authored in this session than in the 2023 session? Okay, so one of the things you have to do here is first, I'll say there were fewer okay. than in 2023. But um, a little bit of context again. Legislatures work over two years. Right. So an even, excuse me, an odd and an even numbered year, the first session in the odd numbered year, the second session in the even numbered year, and the bills carry forward from the odd numbered year to the even numbered year. Um, so it's not exactly fair to compare a second session to a first session. That's fair enough. Fair enough. So if you reach back to 2022, um, it was they were fairly close okay. to what they filed for the second session of the 58th legislature in 2022. I believe it was 
maybe 20 bills more. I want to say it was like 2030 something in, in 2022. Uh, so it was, it was a few more and they're all over the place. There's yeah. a little bit of everything out there. Is there a theme I, that was kind of where I was going next? Is there a theme for this session? Boy, I would not. Well, since Sean's read them all, he'd probably be better to say a theme, but I, I pick out stuff that I'm more interested yeah, in that are my coverage areas. Yeah. But um, for sure, I would say um, one thing that kind of surprised me was there was quite a lot of bills on land sales and agricultural land sales, um, some clearing up some problems from last year and real property and deeds and recording that with an affidavit of U.S. citizenship, essentially, which has caused a lot of problems um, among property buyers in the state and attorneys and everyone filing stuff at the county clerks for buying property. Uh, so there's some language to clean that up, but there was, there was more, and it's an issue that I hadn't really gotten much into, but it made a lot of sense. There's more bills. I saw a little bit more this year on pharmaceutical benefit managers, um, which are the, the huge companies that kind of buy prescription drugs and obviously sell them to pharmacies. A lot of them have their own retail pharmacies. The big ones do. And that's caused some problems with a lot of our independent pharmacies, especially in rural areas who have access to drugs for their customers uh, at good prices or even access at all. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of bills floating around on that front. Um, but I mean, I would, the theme, I would say of this legislature, I would, I would say. Electoral chaos. Well, it's an election year. So there's going to be bills that have been introduced because people want to put it on a flyer or mm -hmm. talk about it in a commercial or whatever. Um, and that happens every election year. It's not really a surprise. Uh, they, they differ in tone sometimes and what they're nice. focusing on. Um, but, you know, I think I, I pay a lot of attention at the beginning, but I pay a lot more attention once those first committees are going yeah, on. Sure. You know, I, I think that's the, for me, is not a, a legislative tracker as my number one job. Right. That's something I can kind of pull back and say, well, Sean's got some Yeah, of that. right. We'll, we'll, we'll read Sean's tweet at 5 a.m. and figure it out. Yes. We all lean on him for that. So, yes, thank you for the 5 a.m. tweet, Sean. We do appreciate that. Uh, I don't read them at 5 a.m., just I just want you to know. You can read them later. I appreciate they're, them. They're still very good. Much. So, a theme, anything stand out? No. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this earlier that pre in, in previous years, we would have heard from legislative leadership on on what their agendas were yeah. for the coming leg legislative sessions. And they stopped doing that a, a few years yeah. ago. Um, so it's, it, it's kind of hard then when you look at 2,057 pieces of legislation written by both Democrats and Republicans uh, to say if there's any one particular theme. I think following... Uh, along with what Paul said, one thing that has surprised me is the amount of legislation related to artificial intelligence. Really? And of course, we we just had the, the report right. from the governor's task force come out. And, and so these were all things that were written before the task force report was finalized and issued. Um, and, and, and they go from sort of both extremes, if you will. Um, there's some that ask for an inventory of all artificial intelligence items, services being utilized by, by state agencies. There's others that attempt to sort of limit and impose certain restrictions and responsibilities on agencies 
that are using artificial intelligence so that it does not result in discrimination or one group receiving different treatment than another of some sort. Um, and, and then uh, there are some other pieces of legislation that uh, give you and I, taxpayers, consumers, whatever you want to call us, uh, certain rights in relationship to artificial intelligence both being utilized by state government in most cases, but also by commercial entities mm -hmm. so that we know what data mm -hmm. is being taken from us and incorporated into these algorithms and programs and, and how it's going to be utilized. Um, so that, I think, will lead to some interesting discussions in the legislature. as well. and, and those were some issues that were covered in, in the task force report is, you know, being transparent with the use of, of, of artificial intelligence. Um, after that, I think one thing that, that caught my eye, um, you know, criminal justice reform is still an issue for the legislature. Yeah. Um, there, several years ago, um, there was a task force created um, under the umbrella of the attorney general's office to come up with a reclassification of our criminal justice code. Right. They made recommendations. Um, the, those recommendations have been put in legislation for several years. They have never made it through both chambers. Uh, the House in particular has sort of been the barrier to their passage. Um, so that is one of the bills carried over from last year. I believe there was a new version of that filed this year. There was also another version of a, a, essentially that whole reclassification process that was filed uh, this year that is, that is somewhat different. And, and, and to, so that people understand what this does, it, it, it takes the criminal code and it puts similar crimes together into groups and then similar crimes with similar punishments into groups. And in, in the course of doing that, it decreases certain uh, penalties and increases some others. So it's, it's hard to tell in the end, is it a wash? Um, uh, but the idea was uh, uh, to sort of clarify uh, and make our criminal code consistent because there are, there are some pretty big inconsistencies in it mm -hmm. in, in some places. Um, and in fact, uh, Bob Ravitz, who just passed away, mm -hmm. um, he and um, Greg Mashburn, the, the district attorney uh, down in uh, Norman, they were the two members of that task force who sat down together and went through the entire criminal code and put together the original groupings. Mm -hmm. And if there was ever a wall where I wanted to be a fly, yeah. that had to be it. Because those discussions between those two men had to be incredible. You know, they were on opposite sides of the law, so to speak, but they were also in agreement on the ideas of justice and fairness. Mm -hmm. And so there were probably times where they were at one another's throats and they were probably times where they were just in complete agreement. Those arguments, though, and that discussion had to be just intense and, and beautiful. Yeah. 
I would say also too is, is other themes. I mean, I was at uh, Oklahoma City Regional Chamber yesterday, and they had an event with some of the the top leaders there, and and they pretty much all mentioned workforce development, mm-hmm. which has been a We're huge thing. A lot of that. Um, economic development with some of the swings and misses on some of the huge mega projects recently, and then how to support existing businesses rather than just focusing on new businesses coming to town. Uh, and also there was some some discussion in terms of just uh, the need to finish out planned infrastructure, especially on roads and bridges, the eight-year plan for ODOT, uh, tied with the conflict with rising costs and inflation. So mm-hmm. You're probably going to see a lot of discussion on that, which is, you know, not as sexy as some of the other stuff that we kind of have the shiny ball at the Capitol sometimes, but definitely stuff that I would say bipartisan agreement to kind of focus on these issues. Now, there may be different policies that come out of that, but um, there was also recognition that, you know, inflation has hit pocketbooks across, you know, the state, uh, including child care options, um, you know, and increasing family leave requirements, not only on state government uh, jobs, but also tying it to our state incentive programs like quality jobs and having them offer not just healthcare at a base level, but also paid family leave or childcare options as a standard part of any new incentive going forward. Speaking of shiny balls, all right, the um, uh, lots of crazy bills have been filed, some that have gotten some media attention. Uh, so controversial bill, and I want to ask about this controversial bills that stood out to you. Uh, but then I want to have a little bit of a discussion about how those things get covered. Uh, uh, if we can do that too. So, uh, let's start with anything that stands out to you as either, Hey, this could actually get some movement somewhere, or this was just the craziest thing I've seen. And, uh, it's not going anywhere, but it, it's just crazy that somebody would offer that. I would have to temper my remarks in saying that um, I used to just dismiss these kind of things out of hand as mm-hmm. like, there's no way that's going to pass. Mm-hmm. But we've seen some stuff pass in recent years mm-hmm. um, that you thought had no hope at the beginning. So mm-hmm. you can't ignore them. And so that's our discussion on coverage of that is, I have different thoughts on that, but I do think that mm-hmm. There's been issues that have come up that I just thought, well, absolutely, this is not going to be it. But they turn into issues that are passed and, then, you know, what happens in some of those controversial bills is that, you know, there seems to be agreement and legislature pass the bill, but then when it gets to actually agency level to figure out and do the rules, mm-hmm. they're kind of left holding the back, yeah. which I kind of feel sorry for sometimes because yeah, sure. I'm like, well, they didn't ask to do this. They have to <laughs> fulfill their requirements at the executive agency, but, uh, you know, and so I, I kind of feel like um, you also have to give some kind of backward credit maybe on some of the lawmakers that come up with these bills because they are attention seeking bills and they do get attention. So, um, and you know, there are so many policy bills that pass fairly, you know, non-controversially every session that are passed because most people in both chambers and the governor think it's a good idea. Uh, and those are not, shiny objects, right. obviously. Right. Um, but, you know, those are sometimes the bread and butter of, mm-hmm. you know, making government work for the most people in the state. Well, I'll say, first of all, I, I think one bill that, in fact, I haven't written anything about it yet, but I need to. Um, there's a bill related to domestic violence. Okay. It increases penalties for domestic violence. I think most of us would agree that's a good thing. It increases the minimum penalty and the maximum penalty. Okay. Um, but then you read the rest of the bill. Mm-hmm. 
And the rest of the bill allows a judge to suspend all the, it, it allows the offender who is in prison after one year, if he has, he or she has completed uh, a domestic violence related program mm -hmm. to then petition the court to have the remainder of the sentence suspended. So it essentially then, in some instances, reduces mm -hmm. those penalties to one year of incarceration. Okay. So on the surface, it looks like a pretty good bill. We're going to more stringently penalize those mm -hmm. guilty of some of the worst forms of domestic sure. violence, those involving strangulation, those involving a pregnant partner. But then if they complete this program within, you know, after, within their first year of incarceration, they can have the remainder of their sentence suspended. So they're eligible for that regardless of the severity of the domestic violence they That's engaged correct. in. Okay. That is correct. Now, having said that, at the same time, there are a bill or two that would kick some of those uh, domestic violence crimes into the 85% category, which means you have to serve at least 85% before you would be eligible for release or could even begin earning credits towards release. So um, there seem to be two different, um, you know, minds of thought about domestic violence penalties in the legislature right now. I want to mention some reporting by my colleague, Whitney Bryan, on those domestic violence programs um, and their effectiveness rates are, are not great. And sometimes some abusers have been using them to learn more strategies to evade the law in that respect as well. So she's done some great reporting on that. And so shout out to Whitney Bryan for some of that as well. So that's also one of those unintended consequences sometimes when you start messing with the um, penalties and what they should do and what an alternative might be yeah. in the interest of justice because you want to keep people out of jail as much as you can, but there's obviously still some need in public safety for them to be in there if the, right. the need arises to that right. level. So I, and, and, and I'm going to, um, Paul on, on Twitter, uh, two or three days ago, put out this, this nice little tweet, you know, I'm not going to comment on these bills. I'm not going to, and I was like, thank you. Because I've been seeing all of these on Twitter, you know, and here's, Here's what I want to throw out there is that was more of an affirmation for myself to remind well, myself too. I, yeah, I was so. extremely appreciative of of you voicing that affirmatively because I, like I said, I had been just seeing bill after bill. Look at this crazy thing. Look at this. Um, until they meet that first deadline, we don't know what's going to have the potential to move or whatnot, right? We know some of these legislators introduced them, as you said, just to seek attention. When we have story after story, look at this bill, we're giving them exactly what they want. This seems like a trap to me. Yeah. And, it's, and I'm going to broaden this out to a particular elected official who's not in the legislature and talk about them trolling you guys consistently uh, and putting you in this trap. But, uh, but... Is there anything that can be done about it? I know at some level you said you can't completely ignore them, but until something moves past that first deadline or, or, or there seems to be some movement that indicates that it's going to have the chance to move past that first deadline, should we be getting as excited about some of this stuff as, as we seem to be in, in certain cases? 
It's a hard question to answer for me in the media in terms of what my role is, where I think that I have a job to do to explain and put in context a lot of stuff. And so anytime I look at these bills, and I'm not going to fault anybody for covering them because these are official actions. That, that is correct. So, I mean, that is correct. you cannot, so this is not just some guy writing on Facebook like this is going to happen. This is a lawmaker who has been elected who has some power to make these things happen if their colleagues agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can't just dismiss them out of hand. Now, um, the track record of some of these, you know, bills that we see, especially this time of year in between the filing deadline and the session starting, mm-hmm. you can go back almost to clockwork and look at what happened and none of that stuff actually happens, you know. Um, but I will, I will say anything. I do kind of caution kind of, uh, my friends who are not like super political people that look, I look at, I have my own internal process in terms of like, is this worth paying attention to? Mm-hmm. What's the success rate of this lawmaker in passing these types of bills? Are they a committee chairman or vice chairman? Um, do they have, uh, you know, a position of authority and leadership? Mm-hmm. Um, and basically the incentives for these, for some of the lawmakers is that if you don't have some of those things, it's a harder road to travel with your colleagues to get things passed. And there is obviously there's elements of horse trading. Oh, please hear my bill in committee and I'll hear yours and mine or I'll vote for it or whatever. And so that happens on every level of every lawmaking body, I believe. Exactly. But, the, you know, you, I kind of, you know, I, I can't fault other people for covering it, but I, like I said on Twitter, I, I have to stop trying to comment myself mm-hmm. on either the long shot of this, of this or, um, the wisdom of even introducing it in the first place. So, and I'm keeping my own personal feelings out of that sometimes. And I try hard. (laughs) You know, it's an interesting question. First of all, I'll go back to something Emily said earlier. I have all the numbers. So let's think about the numbers for a moment. You know, there are two to 3000 pieces of legislation filed every year on average, uh, from Mary Fallon up through, um, uh, governor Stitt thus far, uh, approximately 400 become law every year. And, and that includes those bills that are used. Usually it's 20 to 30 to implement the state budget. Um, so, you know, around 375 new laws mm-hmm. um, are, are, are manufactured every year. Um, so that's a drop in the bucket compared to the, you know, 2057 to 3030 bills I think that were filed over the last the last two sessions. Um, Paul's right. The difficulty has become now we don't know what in some form or fashion might make it through. Uh, we saw that a couple of years ago, for example, with the Save Women's Sports Act uh, that uh, attempts to keep um, students who uh, are going through transition from playing in the the opposite sex sports the the sport in which into which they are transitioning um, that bill was touted in a press release when it was first introduced in 2021 um, it was a house version passed and went to the Senate and did not advance. The Senate version didn't advance. But then we get into 2022, and that that language is still alive. And so it was taken from that House bill 
and put in a Senate bill that had to do with school finance reports. And now it, it passes and comes, goes to the House floor where it had pre, that language had previously passed. It passes again. And now it goes to the Senate as a, what we call a live round. Mm -hmm. I mean, they either have to find some way to kill it or they're going to have to vote on it. Mm -hmm. they, voted on, they voted on it and it passed and subsequently uh, became law. So it, it, it is a bill that prohibits students from dressing as furries at school <laughs> going to pass? I mean, probably not. Uh, but is there language in that bill that might somehow find it into law? Mm -hmm. Possibly. Yeah, I mean, you, you just don't know anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think as journalists, we just have to use our best judgment. Uh, you know, Paul outlined some criteria you can use in doing that. Who's the author? Uh, what role do they play in the legislature? Have they been successful with this kind of legislation in the past? Uh, and then, you know, see what happens in, in the course of the legislative session. Um, I, I, in fact, I think when Paul and I first, before, uh, when Paul was with another publication, I think one of the first things you and I ever exchanged comments about was on Twitter uh, related to some Open Meeting Act changes that were being proposed. And they used the budget process that year to attempt to introduce some of those. And I, I sent Paul this bill that popped up like at eight o'clock one night. And I miss those days. Yeah. And, um, you know, that kind of thing can happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Issues of germaneness. We love those. It just seems it's very complicated for you guys to know what, what merits attention. I really like the criteria you yeah. mentioned about who is this person? Where, where do they fit in the role how successful have they, uh, you know, uh, I wish some more folks within uh, your field kind of would have some kind of criteria like that to, to, to kind of assess that. Um, and I've thought of this, not just in this attention, but uh, there's a certain statewide official by the name of Ryan Walters, who seems to be expert at, at trolling people, uh, including the media and, and doing things that just I And I understand what you're going to say. He's a public official. In some cases, he's making official acts. He just uh, appointed some this person the from the lives of TikTok, TikTok on, on this uh, whatever this, so this board or commission or whatever it is. An advisory committee, which I had never heard of before. So. Right. Uh, and, and, of course, people start. And, and I'm like, that's the whole reason he did that. Yes, right. And, and. and uh, and it's a whole reason he does a whole bunch of stuff. How do we deal with that? How do, I, as a news consumer, how do I deal with that and recognize what he's doing is really just about getting attention in some at some basic level? Right. And, and can we put aside that technically TikTok is not allowed under state law exactly. by state agencies right. to use. Now, if you take that and put it on a Twitter, I guess it's okay. Right. But, you know, um, surely that new person who has been appointed to that advisory committee that, committee that I'd never heard of before um, would know that, you know, there's some state laws against TikTok use. Uh, is that being done in research for that job? I don't know. But those are questions to ask maybe for other people. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the, the attention uh, that some lawmakers and 
public officials seek, um, especially I would say this is not a new phenomenon, but I think it's been put into hyperdrive with the advent of social media in the last 15 years or so. Um, Definitely we had attention grabbing lawmakers in the past who had bills and I will, I mean, my length of time is about 20 years in Oklahoma politics paying attention to it. So I remember back the days of Randy Terrell, uh, the more Republican and some of his anti-immigration bills that people probably thought first we're not going to pass at all. And they did pass. So it's kind of a warning that, look, you cannot dismiss this out of hand. You have to have a good way of looking at it. But as far as trolling, you know, it's the only solution to that is not giving oxygen to those kind of things. But it's so hard when we're all on social media. Right. Well, and it it is like you said, it's hard because they are official actors, right? They're government officials, in some cases doing official acts. uh, And it's your responsibility to to cover that. It's just it seems to me that they're really taking advantage of that. Well, and and that's the part that I try to pay particular attention to, I think, because you know, up until the other day, we had never heard of the Library Materials Advisory yeah. Committee. Don't get, uh, I don't have time to go on a rant, so I'm not. Uh, and I have been really good uh, the last, <laughs> this episode of the previous one, I'm not. But yes, go ahead. Sorry. Well, and so for, for me, uh, you know, that triggers a particular response. Well, what did I miss? Right. So I go back and I look at the administrative rules that, Uh, the Board of Education approved in March of 2023 related to obscenity, pornography, and overly sexualized material in in public school libraries. And there's nothing about that committee there. So then I look, of course, to to state statute. Um, And I, I think this is where it gets sort of interesting is that in 2022, Um, lawmakers passed a bill in response to some concerns about certain library books in in specific libraries um, uh, that said local community standards should guide Mm -hmm. what goes into into these libraries. So you've had the board adopt these rules at the state level, at at the top level, that seem to somewhat perhaps contradict Mm -hmm. with the state law. And then um, Superintendent Walters said that this committee will be reviewing materials that are in school libraries. So it seems like he is setting setting up a potential conflict uh, with state law and with the state legislature and with the legislators who were responsible for that, and that person, uh, the, the author of that particular bill was uh, State Representative Kyle Hilbert, who's rumored to be the next Speaker of the House. So, <laughs> That's so good. This is, this is going to be But going back to Paul's point much earlier, Superintendent Walters outlined that this committee would be making particular recommendations. They are going to be taking mm-hmm. action that will then go to the board. So I think we have to pay attention to that kind of thing. And so far, we only know one member yeah, of that it's committee. Yeah. One right now that we don't know anybody else. Uh, and I think he did say it's supposed to be composed of uh, people who had an English major, uh, people who um, 
Don't get me started on an English department. Education backgrounds and, you know. The, We're going to have to to follow this. I'm going to be very interested to see who ends up on that. We are running out of time. I just got my one minute signal about 30 seconds ago. Okay. Uh, We're in so, trouble. Uh, great conversation. I am sure we were going to have you guys yes, back thank as, you very as the much legislative for coming. session comes along. Great to be here. Uh, uh, thank you to both of you. You guys do great work. Uh, and remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. See you next time. We love communication that goes both ways, not just you listening to us pontificate. We would love to hear from our audience. If you have comments, suggestions, or would like to contact us about possibly being a guest on the show, please email notmygeneration at raider.rose.edu.